Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with David Catterford, CEO of Champion Iron. They wanted to talk to us about their Bloom Lake Phase 2 development. So if you want our thoughts on the conversations, their uh, plans for this year and next, and the company itself, you can catch that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports. There is commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. There are training videos to help you do your diligence just that little bit better. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done to save you some time. And of course, why don't you join our thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe environment. So do that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. David, how are you doing, sir? Very well, yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Lovely to have you on our show. It's kind of rarity in the sense that we're going to be talking about iron ore today. It seems to be back in favor. Yeah, we're the, the, the only publicly listed high-grade producer in North America, so I guess it comes a bit rare. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really does. And we're used to sort of speaking to those South American guys, uh, but they seem to have problems of their own at the moment. Uh, so where in the world are you? I, I guess the sign might be a clue. Are you in Quebec? Yeah, I'm in uh, Montreal, but uh, yeah, so just a few kilometers south of our project. Oh, fantastic. And life good? All back to normal? Yeah, life's pretty good. Yeah, all considering life's been pretty good. Okay, cool. Well, look, um, like I say, thank you very much for coming on the show. Why don't you kick off, give us that one minute overview of the business, and I'll pick it up from there. Yeah, so we've had a view for a little while that uh, the high-grade iron ore is going to be one of the most sought-out commodities in the world. Uh, as people start wanting to reduce CO2 emissions per output of steel, as people want to uh, also gain productivity in their steel mills, well, they, they want to buy higher-grade uh, material. And we set out a company here in Canada, one of the most stable jurisdictions in the world, to be able to produce this high-grade type material. Today, we produce roughly about 8 million tons of high-grade iron ore per year, and we're setting out to double that to 16, as there's so much demand for this type of material. Okay, fantastic. Now, as I alluded to earlier, it's, it's a rarity. You're the only uh, listed iron ore company on the exchange. <laughs> so people are will have a little bit of difficulty maybe understanding some of the vocabulary, some of the language involved here. here. Um, so you're going to help us the whole way through, make sure that we're, you know, we, we can uh, keep up with you. Um, let's start with the macro, though, the macro environment, because it, it, it has had cycles. We, I, you know, I referred to you know, some of the problems down in South America um, in terms of output, in terms of grades and pricing and so forth. So tell us what's been happening in the last 10 years or so and, and what you're sort of seeing going forward with on the macro. Yeah, what's interesting is over the past 10 years, we have seen about two or three, uh, two or three cycles and we've seen that demand was always able to sort of increase the uh, quickly the amount of tons to be able to supply that demand. But what we've seen uh, recently is all the infrastructure sort of limits further expansions. And because of that, well, we've seen now recently the demand continue to increase and there's no new supply coming onto the market. So we're, we're very fortunate because one, we produce one of the highest grade materials in the world, which is one of the most sought out commodities. But at the same time, we don't see any new projects coming in line in the next years. Okay, we talk about demand. Do we need to guess where that's coming from? Yeah, there's a there's a country in Asia that's been uh, that's been requiring a lot of iron ore, and they're at all time high now in uh, steel output. So obviously we're talking about China. 
so they've picked up quite a lot of the um, the lower maybe steel output that we've seen in the first months of this pandemic. But now we're seeing markets like Europe and Japan, which are two other big markets, recovering. So that's why we've seen that demand continue to grow in the uh, in this this uh, COVID year. And what we've been seeing around the world is a lot of governments are talking about infrastructure projects and they're all talking about greener infrastructure projects. So uh, we see the demand for steel increasing in the next years as all these countries are putting in place these infrastructure projects because obviously they require quite a lot of steel. Yes, I mean, COVID has been a sort of catalyst for you for iron ore, but for different reasons than um, precious metals in that these fiscal stimuluses to counteract the um, the quantitative easing that's been going is good for you. So people should think that iron ore will do well with these large infrastructure projects that are happening around the world. And as you say, it's not just China, it's Europe, it's the US, it's everywhere. That's the way that they're countering this. So, so we're saying the future of iron ore, it looks solid, looks good, so good for, good for you. You've had a good year looking at your share price and your shareholders are happy. Um, but you're having to change and adapt slightly because you mentioned something. People are looking for greener solutions too. So mining is having to become accountable. And you're looking at a sort of transition product, which you're going to move into. So maybe explain what you have been selling and what you're going to be selling. Well, I think if we just go back a few years, we acquired Bloom Lake in 2016. First thing we did was to do a feasibility study uh, on the restart of the project. And we didn't only view it as how many tons can we produce. We also did the work on how many CO2 um, tons per year can we reduce. The reasons for that is one one of our major partners, about 10%, is the Quebec government. And the Quebec government is very in line with reducing CO2 emissions. So we invested quite a lot day one, and we managed to reduce 40% the CO2 emissions at site compared to what the operations was doing in the past. So this is very good for us because we're one of the greenest iron ore producers in the world today. But the second advantage is that anybody that uses our material in their steel making process also reduces their CO2 emissions per ton of steel produced. So the higher the grade you use and the more high grade you use, the lower CO2 emissions you produce. Right. You know, yeah, I think people are looking at you know, how you sequester the CO2 component in, in lots of different places at the moment. So that, that, that's, that's interesting to me. But talk to me about the product that you're going to be transitioning to uh, and, you know, what the difference is from where you are now in terms of if you can throw some numbers at that. Yeah, maybe a, a follow-up to, to what we were saying is that if you look at the um, steel output, there's still a lot of blast furnaces out there that produce the majority of the steel. If you want to use electric arc furnaces, well, then you can reduce significantly your CO2 emissions per ton. And to produce um, steel with electric arc furnaces, you can use scrap, which is the main component that you use, but there's contaminants in the scrap. So you need to dilute those down with the highest purity material in the world, which we call DR grade type material. And just recently, we've demonstrated at Bloom Lake that we not only can produce 68% 68% FE material, but we can also produce 69% FE material. And you, you might say, okay, you were producing 66, now you're producing 68, it's only a 2% difference, what's the game changer? But realistically, that 2% allows us to enter the electric arc furnace market and get a premium that's significantly higher than what we used to get in the past. That's interesting, okay. 
So you've got this product, you're going to have this high grade product, but you don't sell into market. You don't do your own marketing. You've got Sojets and Glencore doing that for you. Is that a legacy issue? Is that something that will go away? Or are you going to be able to capture more margin downstream? We don't let anyone do things for us. So we, the way that we uh, did it with Glencore and Sojits is we have marketing agent arrangements. So we align ourselves with Glencore, we align ourselves with Sojits, but we meet directly with all the different steel mills and we sign our contracts directly with the steel mills. That allows us to gain the full benefit of the premium for our type of material. Okay, okay, great. I think that covers quite a bit of the, the macro. So people are new to this, you've got a better picture of what's going on out there in the marketplace and actually how you guys sell too. Um, we better talk about some of the more recent things that have gone on. So you, your last quarterly, some pretty impressive numbers, certainly year on year. Do you wanna kind of just talk through where? what you were able to achieve, but more importantly, where you think the growth is then going to come from? Yeah, if you if you go on our website, you can do a virtual tour of the actual Bloom Lake asset. And it's clear when you do that visit, you can see the $4 billion that have been invested at that site. So you can really tell how, how the infrastructure works well and the quality of the infrastructure. What you can't see on that virtual tour is the quality of the employees at Bloom Lake. And we have a fantastic workforce that have really rolled up their sleeves this year, even if it's a difficult year, and everybody's working together. And we managed to have quarter after quarter of record production during the, uh, the COVID situation, even with all the small inefficiencies that we have at site. So that really demonstrate the combination of our team and the $4 billion invested at site. Okay. But what next? That's always the pressure on the CEO. It's the what next moment. Where's the growth story coming from? So what we're working on right now, so we just announced recently that we are doubling our output at Bloom Lake. So we're working to uh, finish a $1.6 billion uh, in, uh, project that was started a few years ago by the previous owner. We picked it up. It already had $1.2 billion invested, and we have the last $400 million to invest. We green-lighted that about two weeks ago, and we've significantly de-risked that project since we've acquired a few years ago, but now we officially uh, green-lighted it. First tons will come uh, before the mid-2022. So in 2022, we'll be a 15 million ton per year producer of, high, of the highest grade type material in the world. And secondly, what we also announced uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, we acquired a project just a few kilometers away from our, um, our Bloom Lake mine. It's called the Cami Project. Used to be a company called Alderon. This is a company where a few hundred million dollars have been invested at that site to define the resource, the reserves, to permit the asset, to secure logistics contracts, and we picked that up for about $35 million a few uh, weeks ago. So it not only allows us to secure the port access for our current uh, expansion, but it, it allowed us to gain 1.7 billion tons of resources just a few kilometers away from our main asset, Bloom Lake. Now, of course, none of this is cheap. I know you've got a lot of cash at hand, but none of this is cheap. I noticed that you've uh, agreed an extension to an existing credit facility. Um, for another 400 million bucks, but 350 million term loan, 50 million um, drawdown. So was that difficult to do under the current environment? Yeah, it was very difficult. We're actually the first project that Canadian banks give a five-year tenor uh, since the beginning of COVID. 
So one that's really telling how the banks uh, trusted our project, trusted also the management team to be able to deliver that project. And they aligned with us to double our current facility from 200 to $400 million um, in the current market. But realistically, if you look at where the iron ore price is, when, when we do feasibility studies, we do them very conservatively. If you look at our economics and our finance and our um, feasibility study, we use an iron ore price of 84 bucks per ton for our material. Today, we're trading over 160. So you can see that it's been done in a very conservative way. And that's why we wanted to secure the facility with the banks as well, because that allows us to be able to be fully financed for phase two, regardless of the cash generation over the next year and a half. But if you look at current iron ore prices, well, if they stay where they're at, we won't need to draw a single dollar on that facility to be able to finish the project. I guess that's where the confidence comes from, because I, I notice you've got the ability to uh, renegotiate that if you hit certain targets, because it's what is LIBOR plus four at the moment on the on the drawdown facility. You don't think you need to touch that? Yeah, well, it's LIBOR plus four because of the construction timing. As soon as we get into production, we're back to LIBOR plus 2.85. Yeah, I saw that. That was quite nice. Um, okay, so so phase two, Bloom Lake. Um, give us an idea of the scale of that, because again, you know, it's a lot of money, but you are put a throughput. Was it fifteen million tons per annum? It's it's a huge operation. What are what are the logistics in the background that you're having to? I always liken these these scales of operations of like like building a building a town or uh, you know constructing from scratch um, you know a huge huge town you need the logistics facilities the people uh, you need materials in out etc I mean you're pretty well established but what more have you got to deliver next year to get this thing off the ground or the phase two off the ground so if we look at what we currently have uh, we're a fly in fly out operation. So we have our own hotels in town. We have about 40 houses as well where we lodge our employees. We're building a new facility to be able to uh, lodge our contractors during the construction, but we have sufficient lodging already for all of our employees for the current operation and the expansion to 15 million tons per year. So that portion has been uh, already completed. At site, we're very fortunate to have the, the second concentrator already built. So we need to assemble the Meccano set in, inside, but realistically all the equipment has been delivered uh, and the, the actual envelope has been finished. So there's no risk on uh, concrete pouring, there's no risk on steel structure, on the delivery of our equipment, there's no risk as well on the long lead items because they're already all at site. So when we look at an expansion project, pretty rare you'll see something that's as de-risked as this one. So what's left to do? Uh, we're ordering mining equipment to be able to double the production. But as you can tell in the market today, there's not too many uh, companies ordering lots of um, mining equipment. So there's no risk on delays to get those delivered next summer. We need to order, order rail cars as well. Uh, we've secured our slot next July because if you look at our operation, we produce the material at Bloom Lake. Then we haul it about 400 kilometers down to our port um, in Setil, and this is where we have our set down area, the berth, and we load our vessels to be able to go to Europe, Middle East, Japan, or uh, China. So all, all that's left for phase two is assembling the parts inside the plant, getting the mining equipment delivered and assembled, 
and getting the rail cars uh, in line. And what's the ramp up period? Uh, we put in our feasibility study three months. If we look at what we were able to achieve with phase one, it took us about 17 hours to get sellable quality, which we, we would like to improve with our phase two. But um, when we look at the commercial production, we hit that in a few weeks and we were able to reach nameplate capacity in just a, a few months. And in our first full year of uh, commercial production, we surpassed nameplate capacity by 500,000 tons or roughly about 8%. So we're looking to be able to do a similar kind of project with phase two. And to give you a bit of confidence, if you look at our capital investment, we're hiring all of the workforce for phase two a few months ahead of time. And we're gonna train them inside of the current operation because the expansion is a mirror plant than the phase one. So we wanna get the people up and running. So when we start phase two, it's a much more efficient startup. Okay, so you've got a significant, well, projecting a significant amount more uh, production, which is great. Will you continue working with Sojets and Glencore on this incremental production? Or, and, and, and if, if you do, um, have you deliberately kept them out of the financing? Or was that part of the conversation with uh, the Quebec um, province uh, or the Quebec government that you exclude them away from that? No, we really like the arrangement we have with them, but we like to keep that separate though. They can market the material with us, but we prefer to do the financing. When you can get financing with banks like Société Générale, Scotia Bank, Royal Bank, Desjardins, Investment Quebec, uh, we've been working with very credible uh, partners, including Bank of China also, that has, uh, that has supported us. So when you look at the, the syndicate of banks that wanted to support us, it makes a lot more sense than Glencore or Sojits financing, which is typically more expensive. And potentially ties them and reduces your, ties them to you and reduces your optionality, potentially. Um, okay, um, can we talk about Cami, please? Because obviously you mentioned that it gives you access to the port, et cetera. So was this the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle for that region? Well, when we look at the port, uh, it was built by the federal government just a few years ago, and it's got a capacity of 50 million tons per year. Today, only 10 million tons per year are being used. So even with our expansion, well, there's still more than half the capacity available. So we could have purchased the uh, tons through another way, but the advantage with the Alderon deal is they already prepaid the capacity at the port. So we benefit from that prepayment and getting the, the project for the price that we did. It allows us to benefit from that instead of having to go out and buy it directly from the port. But the capacity, there was no issues. Okay. But the Cami deal gave you more than that. Uh, we're talking about you've, it comes with tons. You're going to need to allocate uh, expiration. You're going to budgets uh, for that, should I say. So what does that look like? I mean, when, when do you start allocating budgets to it? So there, there's no actual exploration required because all of the reserve is already defined. So there, there's been a few hundred million dollars invested to drill it all out to define the resources. What we want to do is to do a new feasibility study to, and that we're starting right now to make sure that we can plan properly the next steps of the CAMI project, thinking on one side that we have the Bloom Lake infrastructure that we, we can leverage into the whole um, into the whole deal and seeing how we can create something at Cami that would also be um, maybe a little bit more adapted in the high grade space. So if you read the previous Cami feasibility study, 
they were producing 65% FE material. Our view is that there's significant premiums that will come in the future as electric arc furnaces start taking more and more place. So we want to do a feasibility study to produce DR grade material with the CAMI, uh, the CAMI ore body. So that's going to be the main focus of our, our feasibility study. So how, how did you, I think, again, I think a lot of people understand, you know, precious metals and, and a lot of other commodities. Um, this is slightly different. So how do you, and what is the equipment needed to improve the grade that you've output? The beauty with the Labrador trough is that it's a very simple ore in the sense that you have iron ore and you have silica. Iron ore is about twice the, the mass as silica. So if you grind it down to its liberation size, you don't need any chemicals or any odd processes. It's basically just spirals and the material goes through it. As iron ore is heavier, it stays in the middle. The silica is pushed to the side and then you add some water to push it out more and you recover the iron ore. So the key is to understand that liberation size, make sure your grinding brings it to that size. And then it's just optimizing that gravimetric circuit. But it's a fairly simple process compared to a lot of different uh, metals in the world. Oh, interesting. Quite, quite clean as well. Which brings me on to the ESG component, which, which I see is slightly separate from the conversation from earlier. In the sense that you, you replanted a lot of the land. You, are, you make a big point of ESG in your DAC, actually. It's one of the first things you focus on, along with health and safety. So why is that important to you? Is that conditional on, the, on some of the funding, or has that been part of the mantra from day one? Well, one, it's part of our values. So the whole management team is 100% aligned on that. Two, as we mentioned, the Quebec government being our partner, uh, it, it's a, an important piece of being aligned with us as a company to work on that portion. Third, we feel that for the next growth phases, as we want to get go into permitting, as we want to, and we don't need any extra permits for phase two, but when we start looking at other projects, while the cleaner your balance sheet on ESG, the easier it is to get the communities on board, the First Nations on board, the governments. So we feel it's, it's a path that allows us to have least resistance when we do the next steps of our growth project. And also, if we look at car manufacturing, um, at the uh, home appliance manufacturing, we see in the future more and more demand, not only from these players to ask where does the steel come from, but actually where does the raw material come from to produce that steel. As that becomes more important, well, you, I think you're going to need to have an ESG report card that you can actually say, this is how we produce our tons and can benefit players in the world to be able to access this high-grade material. I think that's right. Not only the OEMs, but also some of the large institutional funds that you're, you're dealing with, uh, the Black Rocks, et cetera, of this world, who, who will be making these, these demands uh, for entire food chains, f for sure. So just looking at where you're at at the moment, you putting the, you've got this facility you've put in place. What's the kind of payback on that? Just remind me of the numbers there. For the phase two? It really depends on what iron ore price you plug into there. But realistically, if our cost to finish phase two is 450 million US dollars per ton, that produces roughly about 8 million tons per year. Well, at a margins like we see today, today we're getting a margin of about 100 US dollars per ton. So in, in just one year, uh, you'd be able to pay two expansions. So Right. Okay. So this is getting to where I wanted to get to, which is about, and again, to come back to the question around growth, which is at a 
relatively a relatively quick return on capital invested. Your IRRs will look quite quite meaningful. Um, what do you do with the money? You're a Quebec company now. Is there more to do in Quebec? Is there more to do in Canada? Is there M and A globally? Would you get support for that? We're very focused uh, in Canada right now. So our main uh, potential growth is through Canadian assets, as we feel this is what we know well, we know the land, we know the different uh, communities, we know the different governments. For us, it's a more natural path to grow into the uh, Canadian market. And we feel that there is a need to develop this Canadian ore for the steel making process. We've seen the events happen in Brazil in 2015, 2019, major dam breaches. There's been a lot of instability in the uh, output of the iron ore from Brazil. And what we've been hearing from clients is they want a more stable production. If you look at Canada, for the past 70 years, it's been producing iron ore in an uninterrupted way. And it's often not necessarily thought of, but Canada is the second largest hub globally to export high-grade iron ore. So the market knows very well Canadian ore. It knows how to use it in their steelmaking process. And we feel there's more and more demand to produce more of that. But is there any, are there any targets out there in Canada for you? I mean, how do you spend your money? I mean, you, you, unless you want to give it back in dividends, that's great. Shareholders would be delighted. But again, it comes back to the growth question of how do you, how do you build this thing to become, you know, a, a, a proper. I mean, two point four billion. No one's complaining today, but you know, there, people always want a little bit more. So, where's that coming from? A good advantage is the first step that we did when we started out. Champion was to acquire five billion tons of resources. Now with the CAMI acquisition, we're at 6.7 billion tons of resources. So organically, we have quite a lot of playing field to be able to continue growing the business and continue aligning ourselves for the high-grade production. Okay, fine. Let's talk about shareholders as well. Management are sitting on 11, nearly 11.5%. I mean, that's substantial. Is that because you kind of got the, the cheap stock or is that because you guys are, are, are buying? I mean, at, at these prices... It's, <laughs> It's, I mean, it's pretty amazing uh, what you've done in, in the sense that the, the retail family office is about 50% here. So, I mean, who are you trying to sell this to? Who are you talking to? You know, do, do, you, need to, do you need to be listening, uh, paying close attention to the institutions? Is that your audience? Well, we're working very closely with different institutions also to eventually grow that portion of the pie in the future. If you look at management, uh, myself personally, when I joined Champion, I sold everything I had and I invested 100% of my money into Champion. So, I mean, when, when we spend $1, we're fully aligned with shareholders because we are significant shareholders as well. And Michael O'Keefe really believed in the story as well, our chairman, and he also invested significantly when he um, started out the project in 2014. So we're, management's very aligned with all the uh, shareholders. The Quebec government being close to 10%, is also a very good shareholder um, in our uh, in our shareholder um, portfolio. Windchurch Capital out of Chicago is our major shareholder. They own about fourteen percent, or just a little over fourteen percent. They were with us since the beginning, and they're fully committed to see this grow as well. Uh, they they see the opportunity on the six point seven billion tons that we have in the portfolio, and they they want to continue seeing this grow. 
And if you look at the family offices, as you mentioned, well, and there's a lot of families out of Australia, about five larger families or family offices that have been following Michael O'Keefe for quite a while. And they, they really like the way that he manages the business, his visions of the future, how he grows the businesses as well. So they've aligned with him to be able to um, see this grow into the future as well. So the, the, the portion that we would like to increase in the future, we have about a 13.5% uh, ownership of institutions. So in the future, we think there's a, there's a larger portion of the pie for the institutional investors, but we're also looking to grow uh, any investor that wants to align with us uh, in the growth initiatives. So NYSE listing coming up soon? It's not our intent. We're already listed on the TSX and on the ASX. We feel that the Australian market understands very well the bulks. Uh, we're, we're starting to, um, to grow the story on the TSX as well. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, sometimes a little bit more complicated on the TSX because there's not too many comparables in Canada. But I think as we continue to generate a significant amount of cash, I think people will go beyond the, the non-peers in Canada and see that this is generating a lot. It's well-managed. There's a growth story and they want to align themselves with this. Okay. I know, you, I know you're in a um, build phase for phase two, but do you think there'll be dividends in 2021? In 2021, uh, I don't think there'll be dividends. Realistically, we want to finish the phase two project before we, we start working on the next um, capital allocation. So for us, the, the main focus and what's the most accretive uh, for our shareholders is getting that to 15 million tons. And then depending on the market, there's a few ways to, uh, to continue growing the business now. Fantastic. David, thank you very much for telling us your story. Uh, really enjoyable. Uh, I hope you come back on and talk us through when, when uh, you're hitting a few of those uh, milestones next year as well. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks also to all our shareholders. I think your company is in very good shape. We had a fantastic 2020. 2021 looks even better when we look at the market, when we look at the demand uh, for our type of material. Also, uh, be very interested to coming back to give you updates on the phase two expansion, allowing us to double our production, getting to 15 million tons, and also producing more and more of this higher grade type material to get a higher premium in the future. So thanks again, Matt, and uh, see you soon. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.